Kaya Maria Singh, the host, writer, and producer of Live is a Yodel podcast. Welcome. In today's episode, I'd like to share with you an essay on poor leadership. You see, in my life, I've always been amazed and inspired by the ordinary people, the small potatoes who have brought so much goodness to me and those around them. They serve as direct contrast to so many shakers and movers in society who often give the rest of us the shakes. So today, I'm going to speak up a little, and I hope it will serve a positive purpose. Here we go. Leadership Prevention I once heard that leadership is like a tea bag. We won't know its real flavor until we put it in hot water. Now, more than a year out in a global pandemic, millions of people are still living in hot water and witnessing unprecedented poor leadership, of which the flavor I'd call leadership, as if rotten eggs have been routinely dropped into our tea. I can imagine some of you may chuckle at my naughty expression here. Some may frown, as it sounds rude and cynical to you, even though I truly don't mean to. And yet, to many others who live in the Middle East, leadership is probably too mild a term to categorize what they have been subjected to. For amongst the pandemic, rockets and bombs have been dropped into their homes and schools as recently as May, at the exact order of none other than the so-called leaders on both sides of the conflict. However unacceptable leadership tastes to you, I feel you will agree with me that instead of silently enduring it or merely complaining about it, we shall speak up and reject it through peaceful means and civil bravery and ingenuity. So out of our collective hurt, suffering, and sadness, we can emerge as healthier, stronger, and wiser people who can experience empowerment and joy of living. Poor leaders come in a great variety of categories. To name but a few, let me start with a group like three peats in a pot. The sloth the snails, and the barnacles. They're kindred spirits for their inability to make a noticeable leadership move of any kind. Often, they're not malicious people. They can be rather agreeable and carry a soft heart. But that may be the problem at heart. They are too soft and scared to lead, or even admit that they simply can't lead. 
That's why they sit in their leadership chairs all day and do nothing. Instead of failing as a leader, why don't the sloth, the snails, and the barnacles become portrait models? Their ability to stay put will make them superb at it, right? Opposite to the immovables, the second cluster of leaders can and do make considerable moves, but the trouble is they have zero strategic vision. Hence their nickname, the bats. Once the bats issue their blindly conceived public policies or organizational strategies, sometimes ironically titled Vision 1.0, and so on, all hell will break loose. Our society will start to spasm, and organizations will lose perceptive and capable employees who will jump ship one by one. I think the bats should get a job as bumper car drivers in amusement parks or food tasters, where their unthinking boldness will serve themselves and the rest of us so much better. The third tribe of leaders can be likened to the cowbirds, just like the mafia-like brood parasite. They pass on the bucket for taking their own leadership responsibilities. To whomever else they point at, the only things the cowbirds don't transfer are their fat cat title, pay, and perks. It's tricky what alternative careers they should have, where they get to enjoy legitimately assigning tasks to others all day long. Hey, perhaps they can work at hospitals triaging. Then there are the fourth breed of leaders who remind me of the goldfish. They have a knack for displaying glittering charm, uttering eloquent words, and convincing us to believe them. They can talk themselves into any big jobs without any real qualifications. They're too smart to leave their rise to chances by delegating their unrelenting self. Promoting moves and calculations to others. In this sense, the goldfish trumps all the aforementioned leaders. What roles will they be good at if not a leader? That's even trickier than the case of the cowbirds. Let me think. Well, they can make good actors. A fifth cohort of leaders are certainly not good actors in society. They're the worst bunch, for they are predatory, creepy, sadistic, or even ruthless control freaks. I regard them as the hyenas. One such sinister hyena suddenly emerges in my mind. He's a big shot at a large firm. One day, he told his executive assistant to schedule an annual performance review meeting with him. His assistant asked him how long the meeting would be. You know what he said? It would depend on how long it would take you to stop crying in the meeting. I can think of only one suitable job that the hyenas should do: 
which is to take care of the wild hyenas in the zoo or a sanctuary because of their tacit understanding. Do I need to continue listing other types of incompetent or unethical but powerful leaders around us? I think not. Instead, we shall now talk about what we, the citizens and little potatoes at work, can do to reject poor leadership and stand up for ourselves. Here's an example. One day, a goldfish at an organization where I once worked arranged a conference call to lecture us, six hardworking colleagues, how to improve work performance simply because he had nothing better to do. He was to conduct his big talk from his office uptown while the rest of us huddled around a speakerphone in a boardroom downtown as our work piled up. Five minutes into the call, we, the non-talkers, began to demonstrate our work performance. <laughs> the acrobat among us started to spin a pen in her hand with increasing speed, clockwise first, then counterclockwise, as it rattled rhythmically. Her neighbor was a virtual Guanyin, a female Buddha. She meditated against the white noise coming from the goldfish by closing her eyes, breathing in and out steadily poised with a sense of detachment. The cartoonist on my left was drawing a legless man sitting at his desk, talking into a phone. B.S. was flying out of the wide gaps of his front teeth and flooding his office. I was pretty sure whom he was drawing. But why is the protagonist legless? I wondered to myself. Perhaps so, he's hopelessly soaked in his own BS and can't walk out? <laughs> Then I looked to my right to check what the timekeeper was up to. Well, he was rolling his eyes at his wristwatch while showing it to the athlete next to him and whispering, How long is this bloody call going to last? Maybe we should unplug the phone and get out of here and tell him later something had gone wrong with the phone line. The athlete gave an amused nod while he was watching a tennis match on his iPhone. He swung his long neck sideways like a giraffe splatting a rival in a fight. Maybe he was also holding a virtual match with the goldfish and hitting back every word shot from uptown with his neck. Tortured by the goldfish's nonsense and inspired by the timekeeper's exit strategy, I played a bold escapist out of desperation and excused myself with a little white lie as I talked into the speakerphone. I'm so sorry. I just realized I had double booked. I have to go now. As I left the room, my colleagues bade me farewell in shock, envy, and lingering chuckles. The goldfish was too preoccupied preaching on the phone to notice I was leaving. 
just as well. Sometimes it's not easy to escape the toxic leaders, and it's not enough to rebel quietly or indirectly. Certain cases call for direct and drastic condemnation, such as how we reject the hyenas. So how? Well, what about a three-part act, an experiment using the last mentioned hyena as the guinea pig? Let's call him Dick, a stage name in our little play. It goes like this: Act One, a little bit of love. On Valentine's Day, we will call Dick. Congratulations! Your secret Valentine has bought you a gift certificate for a two-week. All-inclusive stay at the premier poor leader rehab center. During your stay, you will have full access to all training workshops and psychotherapy sessions to help you stop your BS. To reserve your spot, call one eight hundred U Dirk now. Act two, heed the warning. If our initial call hasn't resulted in Dick's improved behavior, we will zap him a warning. On his birthday, we will call him again and sing a birthday song, especially composed for him. This is the karma calling. Your conscience needs total cleaning. If you don't start behaving, dear Dick, to hell you will be heading. Act three: Truth or Dare. If Dick still doesn't wake up and smell the coffee. We must resort to a most severe measure. He will have to taste his own medicine on April Fool's Day. Will involve Dick's big boss, the CEO of the firm. Let us call him Mr. Chicken here, as he hates to admit his weaknesses or to lose a dollar or a bet. We'll also ask Mr. Chicken's executive assistant to participate. She won't hesitate, so let's call her the admirable Miss Brave. An auspicious April first, Miss Brave was suggest to Mister Chicken that they play a round of truth or dare. If Mister Chicken goes for truth, he must tell Miss Brave why he never gives her a decent annual bonus. Despite her two decades of consistent and outstanding work, there's no way Mr. Chicken will pick truth, as he simply can't bring himself to confess that he's an ungrateful cheapskate. He will have no choice but to go for dare. Then he must hold an immediate meeting with Dick and denounce Dick's abusive behavior at work. He must also awaken Dick's conscience, and only stop the meeting when Dick's tears are dried up.
If Mr. Chicken fails to deliver all this, he must pay Miss Brave ten thousand dollars out of his own pocket as a small token of her years of overdue bonuses. Mr. Chicken would be rather motivated to perform his dare, won't he? I hope our little play will eliminate Dick's hyena-like behavior as a leader. But is this enough? Maybe not. I'm certain you'll agree with me that the most effective way of rejecting poor leadership is to be proactive and prevent it from happening in the first place. Which means we must try to eliminate the chances of the wrong people. Getting even close to powerful leadership positions. To do so, we need to rethink our leader selection criteria, methods, and processes. For starters, let's ditch their CVs. Instead, let's conduct a police car chase simulation on all applicants. The minute they arrive at the testing site, we will close their mouths with duct tape. The sloths, the snails, and the barnacles can't decide on a move of any kind beyond the speed of zero point two seven kilometers an hour. So they're all out. The bats have no strategic vision for where they should run to. They will drive themselves crazy and end up heading straight towards the police. The cowbirds will have no one to pass on the bucket for driving to, so certainly they're doomed. As for the goldfish, with their big mouths sealed by duct tape, they can talk their way into anywhere and will feel like fish out of water and quit. Next, we'll take the remaining candidates. To an iFlight type facility for a free fall simulation, we will give them a helmet to wear, hook them up to a light detector, then blow them into the air. As they succumb to the sensation of losing control, we will ask them to detail their career accomplishments and how they treat their colleagues and employees, especially the little potatoes. This will mess up and oust all the hyenas, who are predatory control freaks and skilled liars. Finally, those who are still standing may very well be the truly grounded, capable, honest, and decent leaders that we desperately need. Then we will assign a robot. Programmed by the most advanced artificial intelligence technology available today, to hold interviews with them and choose the best among the best. Why use a robot here? Well, it will greatly help prevent nepotism or personal bias, and maximize objectivity and precision. What do you think? I suppose my ideas can sound a little too wild to you. Ha <laughs> ha! I know, but together, we the citizens surely can and shall create much more brilliant and seriously feasible and effective mechanisms to prevent unacceptable leadership. Don't you agree? I bet you do.
Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed our time together. For more information or to share your feedback, please visit liveisayodo.com or email liveisayodo at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and I appreciate your time. Now, allow me to send you off with a piano rendition of the classic Chinese folk music, Colorful Clouds Chasing the Moon. It illustrates ordinary citizens living in peace as they imagine the immortals flying to the moon palace on colorful and auspicious clouds. I would like to thank Yiran Wang for his joyous performance on the piano, Margaret Meyer for her studious script editing, and Crowbar Media for skillfully producing today's episode. May joy, peace, and courage be with you. So long.